Hello and welcome back to Scarves Around the Funnel, the podcast dedicated to Heart of Midlothian Football Club. We're now in our first show of 2021, and if 2021 so far was a haircut, I think, Mark Donaldson, it would be Paul McGowan's haircut. First of all, asking me about haircuts is, is, is unfair, because when I go to the hair, uh, hairdresser, I basically say to them, look, make it look as though it's, I've got some for TV, because it's a face-on camera, but apart from that. Um, so, so, yeah, it's, I'm not the best person to ask for about haircuts. And, and secondly, um, how bad was 2020? We thought things could only be better, and we start off with that performance. We're in lockdown, we're getting oh. beat by Dundee. Yes, I am Laurie Dunsire. Thank you for joining us on Scarves Around the Funnel. We were going to get a guest on for this show, but we sent him an email invite and I must have got lost because it turns out he's not with us. Um, so that's a bit of a shame. Only joke, only joking, <laughs> only joking. We've, we've gone a bit different this time. We have someone from the from the other side, uh, the opposition, um, a man from the Terrace podcast and a man who's appeared on the Terrace TV show and I think he does a Dundee show as well, some wee podcast over in Tayside. Uh, a resident Dundee fan from the Terrace, it's Gary Cocker. Good evening, gents. How are we? Oh, pretty shite, but... Um... Huh. <laughs> yeah. Time is everything, eh? Yeah. I, I, I should say to your listeners, I, I come in peace. I, I live in Edinburgh, so I have no interest in noising you up any more than I have uh, through through private channels. So I will I will be gentle on all of you. And if he's not, uh, we do have Gary's address, and we will <laughs> post that on the social media feeds after the show if anyone wishes to, um, to take umbrage with anything that Gary says. So <laughs> we actually agreed this before the game, funnily enough. Probably wouldn't have done it if we'd know what the result was. So we felt we should honour our agreement to get you on. We we talked about it, um, not on the show before, but off-air previously, that it would be interesting at some point to get uh, a representative of the opposition, um, especially after we've played them and there'll be things to talk about. So we do appreciate you coming on. We know um, it's not easy because this is a show that's just for Hearts fans and we hear there are some other fans that tune into the terrace despite it being 95% <laughs> Hearts fans who are on it, I think, these days. There's a lot. There's a lot of them. Um, but no, it's. I'll, I'll save most of what I have to say um, for later on. But I think that I feel like it's Robbie Nielsen redux for me from last season. Obviously, this is uh, Dundee's second uh, stint in the championship or second season in this current stint in the championship. And a lot of what I'm seeing this season um, from a side managed by Robbie Nielsen is a lot of what I saw last season as well. Um, obviously, I hope that there's a slightly different outcome, but I, I have my doubts. So what you're saying is the season is not going to finish. It will go to a vote. Dundee will somehow have the final vote. We'll go up. Robbie Nielsen will get promoted. And he'll then move to who's bottom? Motherwell. Motherwell? Let's go with Motherwell. <laughs> oh, no, it's Ross County, isn't it? Ross County, is um, it? Yeah. We're all about the championship on here. We don't we don't pay attention to that. So we are going to talk about Heart of Midlothian against Dundee, the first game of 2021 for those two clubs, which took place at Dens Park at the weekend. We'll have a look ahead to... Um, we'll just, I won't say the next match, because Hearts don't even know who they're playing in their next match yet at the time of recording. Uh, we'll look ahead to the next matches, we should say. And I think we might be able to squeeze in a little conversation about a certain voting debacle which took place 
Uh, oh Christ, like eight or nine months ago now. Okay, first up, Hearts started 2021 with a trip to Dens Park. The big Saturday night showdown in the championship, a 7.20pm kickoff. I believe the BBC gave a, a huge build-up of five whole minutes. Um, they could tell they were really buzzing for that one. And we'll start with the Hearts team. Mark, I, I don't know how you felt going into this one. The big news before the game was that Hearts had no Michael Smith available. It is not confirmed why Michael Smith was not available. There are you know, theories and there's rumours, but we will not go into any of those because nothing has been clarified. But there was no Michael Smith, so Jamie Brandon was going to make his first league appearance of the season. Uh, we knew there would be no Liam Boyce. He was out injured. So Hearts went with... We've seen different ones posted, but I would say it looked more of a 4-2-3-1 for most of what I saw. Uh, Gordon and goals, Brandon right, Kingsley left, Halkett better in the middle, Haring and Halliday holding, Lee Naismith, Walker, the attacking three, and Craig Whiten up front. How were you feeling pre-game for this game, which had, it's hard to say how games have a little edge to it when there's no fans, it feels differently, but it did feel like there was an edge in the build-up after the 6-2 game that had taken place at Tynecastle at the start of the season, and of course, what we'll get into later, the tension between the two clubs given what happened a few months earlier off the field I don't know if I should have been um, less concerned but I was pretty concerned that Michael Smith not playing because he's I think our well not just him but I think our three best players were absent Michael Smith Josh Ginelli and Liam Boyce um, and we end up with Jamie Brandon who was, who was fine um, one of the better White players start, it has to be said actually yeah exactly Whiten uh, got the nod alongside Kind of Naismith, one up, one off. Um, and, and Haring came in. I want to talk more later about Peter Haring. Um, and I, I think the expectation of us getting to where he used to be, I'm not sure he'll be that player again. Um, but I wasn't as confident with the team lineup as I would have been had Smith and Boyce been playing. Certainly. I can't disagree with that. I've been mean, looking at the opposition. I... I spoke with, with Gary a little bit before the game just to get a handle on what we'd expect from Dundee. I think we called it a 4-3-3 or a 4-3-1-2. Jack Hamilton in goals, Christy Elliott right, Jordan Marshall left of the defence with Ashcroft and Fontaine in the middle. Jordan McGee now a midfielder apparently, playing in the centre with Sean Byrne and captain Charlie Adam. Paul McGowan in the number 10 role and uh, Danny Mullen and Osmond So up front. Um, You've obviously seen your team now, well, before the game, go five games unbeaten, starting to maybe find a little bit of form. How how did you feel before the game, Gary? Did you feel this was a game that was, was there for the taking, that Dundee were going in with a bit of momentum? For me, it was all about whether or not Charlie Adam played. Um, in the few games where he's gone off with a substantial period of the second half left, we've collapsed, basically. Um, but what's been a massive change for us is finding that correct dynamic in midfield. And I think that, uh, obviously, you'll both know Jordan McGee quite well uh, from his uh, youthful exploits at Tynecastle. And I think he's found a new lease of life in midfield. He was being played before uh, before about November-ish as a centre-half. And although he performed well there last season, this season it wasn't really working out for him, uh, to the extent I think he actually dropped out of the team for a couple of games. 
Um, but now he's in the midfield. That midfield three of Byrne, McGee and Adam works so well. And Charlie Adam just gives us something that I think he is. There's a couple of other players, other teams in the Premiership might maybe have as a backup at most. I'm, I'm not overly uh, positive about our uh, about the, the quality of our squad, but I think Charlie Adams one that most teams in Scotland would be delighted to have, because even though he does begin to tow a caravan by the end of the game, he's just he, he brings a totally different dimension. And you mentioned Peter Haring, the fact that he uh, managed to nutmeg and then skin Peter Haring is, uh, is something that I think Harris fans might need to reflect on. Indeed. Well, we'll talk about certain things that happened in the game and, and performances of certain players as we go through it. Uh, but we'll, there was obviously a talking point very early on. Um, now, I will confess, commentating on the game at the time, uh, I, I called it, oh, that was a, you know, I think I called it cynical and it was a scything challenge, but I didn't call for it being a red card when I saw it initially in real time and I wasn't surprised I think it was definitely a yellow card at the time I think I said when I see it again I can see why Robbie Nielsen has highlighted this I think it very easily could have been a red card and at another point in the game it might have been um Mark I don't know if you were with me were you shouting that that should have been a red at the time or no 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 uh, it's a it's a yellow for me uh but it's a if there was ever a card between a yellow and a red, it was probably that. But the referee's got a decision to make. Um, I remember back in 1986 at the World Cup when Jose Batista was sent off for Uruguay against Scotland after 56 seconds. This was early as well. And I've, I've told you the story before about when Peter Walton came into ESPN and we had a chat with him. And he said back in the day, you used to get away with a couple in the first 10 minutes. It was very rare if you got a red card that early. I've watched this back, and I watched it back just before we, we came on air. What you have to decide here, there are three types of fouls. A careless foul is a foul, no further action. A reckless foul is a yellow card. An excessive force is a red card. There will be those that say it was reckless, uh, which ah, I think it's reckless bordering on excessive force. I've watched it again. He does have one leg planted. Naismith actually flicks it away from him just before he makes contact. That's why I think it's a yellow and not a red. I can understand Robbie Nielsen saying it's a red. I'm not sure it was deflection tactics, but then to bring Don Robertson into it and say, oh, we also lost against Dunfermline, but he was red. I don't think he read the room very well there. But for me, it was it was a definite strong yellow. And I wouldn't have been surprised if a red had been awarded for it. Later in the game, again, I don't buy that argument. But for me, it's... <laughs> It's just below a red. Just below a red. Would you go along with that, Gary? Yes. I mean, it's the funny thing is that I would love to go back, and perhaps I should have, I would love to go back to the second Dundee Derby of last season uh, when our side managed by Robbie Nielsen uh, deployed that exact tactic uh, when Callum Butcher uh, side down, I think it was actually Sean Byrne, uh, funnily enough, in a, in a twist of fate, uh, side him down in the first minute and again received a yellow card. I think that was even Don Robertson again. Um, so I'd be interested to see if Robbie Nielsen was calling for his own player to be sent off at that point. I very much doubt it. But no, I think uh, the idea of it maybe being an orange card offence, uh, if, if such a thing could exist, uh, is probably a right. Sin, in that... A sinbin offence. Yeah, about <laughs> 10 minutes at the side end. Surprised it's taken this long in the Hearts uh, podcast for rugby to come up, but, uh, <laughs> but no. Um, 
Jessica, who's who we speaking to, Laurie? Oh, no, regretting it already. Um... I'll be gentle, but no, it, I mean, it was it was a pretty crunching tackle, and I did wince uh, when it went in, but I thought, given it's the first minute, it's never going to be a red card, and you can argue about whether or not particular offences should be treated differently depending on what stage the game's at. That's probably a different debate to be had, but I think it, it set the tone for the first half anyway. Yeah, and Dundee started the game very well. Uh, Charlie Adam had a free kick, which was saved. A fairly routine save, a decent hit, but I think Gordon always had it covered in the seventh minute. Less than 60 seconds later, Jordan McGee played a ball through and somehow managed to take out the entire back four of hearts with one pass. And Danny Mullen probably should have scored, saved by Craig Gordon. And the, the tone really was set here, wasn't it, Mark? I, I was very concerned at this stage because if you even see that chance that McGee set up for Mullen, you see the replay because you wondered at first, oh, was there an offside call? It definitely wasn't offside, but the, the Hearts back line were all over the place. I don't think any one of them was in line with each other. No, Kingsley was a bit shaky. I haven't really seen that from him this season. Um, Brandon was one of our better players. Um, yeah, Craig, Craig was, was kind of let. I mean, it was, it was that was the, the save, wasn't it, from Mullen that, that yeah, Craig yeah. produced? Yeah, it was a decent, it was a decent save, but I mean, the thing that the thing that got me, and, and Gary was speaking earlier about Charlie Adam. I love Charlie Adam. I remember um, when he played for Liverpool and he set plays, um, even at Stoke. He's he's he, his mind is is two or three plays ahead of anyone else. And I know it wasn't him that put that ball through. It was a really good ball that that was put through. But we we were just. We were very reactive to start this game, and from a defensive perspective, just caught asleep. We were lucky we weren't one goal down there. Yeah, and on Charlie Adam, I mean, he set up the opening goal 13 minutes in. It was a fantastic cross. First time, it's actually a very difficult position. I'm going to talk about how Hearts managed Charlie Adam in a moment. It's hard to criticise, I would say, from that position in terms of closing him down because he's 30 yards from goal. He's, he's only about 10 yards, 12 yards in from the touchline. Uh, the questions about McGee being, whether he should be standing in the box unmarked at the back post when I think there was only one other opposition player in the box is another matter. But it, it, is that one of those moments, Gary, where it's hard to really criticise how... Adam was um, managed because when the ball went back to him, even knowing it's Charlie Adam who does have a terrific range of passing, I wasn't suddenly concerned that there was going to be an attack on. It's the thing with Charlie Adam so far this season is there's been so many times as a fan of watching and thought, what's he doing that for? And then before I finish thinking, what's he doing that for? It's landed right on the big toe of whether it's Paul McGowan, uh, Danny Mullen, Osman Soul, another former Hearts player. Um, he as Mark said, he's just he is thinking several steps ahead. Um, interestingly, I did note that in the post-match interview with the BBC, he said that the first goal was one that they'd actually worked on on yeah, the training ground, yeah. and it was the method to basically take Christoph Berra out of the equation. Uh, and he did sort of catch himself and stop speaking at that point, because uh, I think he'd realised he was maybe giving away some trade secrets. But <laughs> it was very interesting to me that... Uh, well, for one thing, to, to hear that the, the team had a plan, um, but also that, you know, it was something that was identified. Obviously, Christoph Bauer was on loan at Dens last season. He was magnificent for us. Uh, he really was. He really settled a back line, which was shoddy and shambolic. Um, but what I did find interesting was I did feel like Bera 
was just having one of those games on Saturday. Um, and obviously, you know, you two will, will have your own take on it. But I, I get the impression that Christoph Bear is somebody who maybe 80% of the time um, you get, a, you know, you get either somewhere between competence and magnificence and the other 20% you might not want to talk about. But that's just from my observations um, from this season. Yeah, he we'd spoken about him recently because we felt he was starting to find his feet again because he's not been a popular figure with a lot of Hearts fans for a long period before he he before Stendhal came in before he got um, loaned out to Dundee and obviously he was kind of ostracised at at Tynecastle around that time when he came back in a lot of fans weren't happy and to be fair he he did have some shaky moments. We did feel like he was starting to settle a little bit again. Um, a lot of and a lot of with Berra is he's never looked, he's never looked comfortable in himself since his injury. His his movement, he, he, you know, Christoph Berra was never a John Suter. He was never one to take the ball and dance out of defence and play nice short passes. But he just looked like he was struggling with his general movement, just moving around the park. <sighs> Saturday. It was a bad one, I think, for him. And it, maybe it's, you know, Dundee trying to target him was part of it. But like you joked about at the start about rugby, and we did resort to... And this this was frustrating me a lot through the game, and I don't know what your take on it as the, from an opposition point of view. I don't understand why we were firing balls up to Craig Whiten, um, <laughs> who, no. whether, whether you rate Craig Whiten or don't rate Craig Whiten, you know... Craig Whiten up against Liam Fontaine and Lee Ashcroft. I, I don't really know what we were planning on doing. There wasn't really even going to be any second balls. I mean, it just seemed a bizarre approach, I thought. And from our perspective, in the, fir- the first half was horrendous from a Hearts perspective. 2-0 uh, in some ways, I thought, I could probably take that after the first half because it could have easily been more. It won't surprise you to know as a Dundee fan, I love Craig Whiten and I always will. It doesn't matter what he does in yep, life. Yep, uh, he gave me a terrific night at Dens Park where I celebrated United getting relegated and no one can take that away from me. The thing that I've always found with Whiten though is that it's quite difficult to know exactly where to play him and how to play him. And I think the only thing I know for sure is that playing him as, uh, I would say, probably a lone striker, because Naismith wasn't quite up there with him. No, I'd agree. And shelling balls up to him is, is not going to be a good idea. He is a somewhere between a number 10 and a winger that is quite difficult to <laughs> quite difficult to work out what it might be, or you know, a second forward, maybe. Um, but he did not look like he was enjoying himself. I think if you had some pace on the wings alongside him, uh, obviously I know that uh, Josh Ginelli was self-isolating, so you missed him, and he to my mind, was a big miss, and I was delighted that he wasn't playing for Hearts, because uh, I think he could have caused us trouble, and I think, indeed, that's something you might want to talk about a little bit later, is the fact that I think pace on the wings would have caused us a lot more issues, um, and you just didn't provide that at any point. Um, but it's, it's meat and drink to the likes of Liam Fontaine, who's such an experienced defender, to just deal with high balls like that. I mean, Mark, on, on the tactics, cause he, it was something I was going to mention, and since Gary's mentioned it now Robbie spoke before about the fact that we struggled to adapt to Ginelli being out injured initially obviously separate to his recent um, Covid isolation absence and he adjusted that by getting Smith and um, Kingsley forward and playing a more narrow game in the middle of the park but there wasn't really much attempt or there wasn't enough of an attempt I felt to try and stretch the game it was just trying to get the ball up the park 
from very early on, you felt like it was get the ball up the park. And I don't know if we were looking to try and play off second balls. Certainly, you, you weren't going to get much in the way of flick-ons or, or holding it up from Whiten against the two defenders. I think, I think that's one of the big frustrations in a game like that. Um, I wasn't I wasn't very sure from very early on what our, our, our game plan was with the way we set up and the way we started the, the match. Mm. I read a couple of people on social media asking the question, does Robbie Nielsen look too in-depth into the opposition um, and try to nullify their threat rather than letting them worry more about us? I don't know. I mean, he's a new breed of, of, of manager. Um, he's, he's very intense when it comes to, to opposition tactics. He'll have felt that the team he put out would have been good enough to beat Dundee. But we weren't. We didn't play well enough. Is there a complacency aspect about some of the players? Well, we're in the championship. We will go up. We should go up. It's just a case of when. Well, not if you play like that. You'll get dragged back to the pack. So I, I'm not sure what the tactics were. We didn't have an out ball. Um, as Gary was saying, Craig Whiten's not an out-and-out striker. He is a, a, a winger, a number 10, a, a, a somewhere in that kind of left or right area. And we struggled. Um, P- Peter Haring, I've advocated at times, without having seen him play there, would he be an option at centre-back if we played a three to kind of give us that hybrid formation? I, I, I wonder if we're starting to see, Laurie, if, if, if we all think that we're getting Peter Haring back um, prior to his... Serious injury. I, I'm not sure that player exists anymore. Uh, I know the, the bottom line is we do not. We are one of the slowest teams I've seen. We do not have legs, and opposition, regardless of ability, can exploit that. I mean, interesting that you're saying. Obviously, Robbie can sometimes overthink the opposition. One thing that Gary and I spoke about before the game, when we we're speaking about how the teams will line up, was my my feeling was the one thing we have to do is just nullify Adam because at Tynecastle, although the end result was obviously very favourable, when Dundee showed glimpses of getting into the game, I felt it was just through Adam. It felt like it was Charlie Adam against Hearts at Tynecastle, I felt, for long spells of that. Obviously, the team's grown a little bit around him, but I felt get Halliday or get Haring and just nullify him, even if it means they just stick to him very closely. And I know Haring did try to for the second goal when um, Adam takes it down the left and nutmegs him and then sets it up for Mullen who scores uh, he almost makes it easy for Mullen to put it right on his head did we make a, a poor job of trying to marshal Charlie Adam because obviously Gary you watch them week in week out is it a case that if you can nullify Adam that it really does reduce Dundee's effectiveness or, do, or is it just the fact that when it's early in the game anyway when he's not blown out his arse and I don't know if he lasted much more than 50 or 55 minutes with this one, to be fair, but the game was maybe one or you had a decent enough lead at that point. But is it just that he is still that good that it's hard to nullify him? Are we maybe underestimating his quality just because he looks like he's 55 and not, um, what is he now, 35? 34, please. That that extra year means a lot to him. Um, no, it's, I think it's a little bit in between the two. So it is very, very difficult for a a man of his quality uh, to really properly be manhandled, if you will. But I think that when Irvin came on in the second half, he saw that there was a wee, uh, certainly the BBC Scotland commentators enjoyed talking about the wee sort of psychodrama going on there. I think one of them even called Irving 
the, the pretender to Charlie Adams throne, yeah. which was a strange, uh, strange analogy, but never mind. Um, but no, it is the games where we have not functioned as well. It's not just about Charlie Adams. There's a lot of other uh, moving parts and Osman So's uh, performance on Saturday, even though he didn't get a goal as he has been a lot in recent weeks. Is a huge, huge part of it as well. He like, actually looks. He actually, sorry, cut you off. He, he looks almost as fit as he was before. Every time I've seen him, and I only see him sporadically, he he never. He's not looked fit to me for years when I've seen him on and off for for Dundee when he and it was only it was his debut, so it's maybe unfair when he played for United. He just he's not he's not looked fit to me for years. But he, he kind of he looked almost like he was like he did when he was with us. Yeah, I, I was saying to. Uh, fellow Hearts fan, uh, Joel Sked, uh, before the game that, I mean, I was calling for, for So to just be binned at the start of the season, to be honest, and I just thought he's he's never going to recover. Uh, he spoke a little bit about, will Andy Haring be the same player, uh, sorry, Andy Haring, Peter Haring, uh, be the same player again um, after his injury, and I thought that with Osmond So that would never happen, but what we've seen is that he's had game a lot more game time and perhaps just a little bit of good fortune in terms of not picking up a recurrence of the injury or something else happening to him. And he has been in the right place at the right time several times in recent weeks, and I think he's just got that confidence back. Um, And he was undoubtedly a big part of why we've gone on this recent unbeaten run. Uh, That's six games unbeaten for Dundee Mm -hmm. now. Uh, Four wins, two draws. Uh, It'll all come crashing down against Bonnie Gross <laughs> at the weekend, I'm sure. But, you know, it's, there's a lot of moving parts. It's not just Charlie Adam. Um, I think that what Hearts didn't do in the first half is they didn't pin back our fullbacks as well. Chris Elliott is much better going forward than he is going back, if that makes sense. He was um, he was a winger at Partick originally, was he not? I always thought of him as a winger, and he seemed to gradually move further back in the, in the park. He was, and there was a point last season, it was when Christoph Berra was playing for us, actually, um, that we played a, a back three with wing-backs, and it was Declan McDade as left wing-back and Chris Elliott as right wing-back. Uh, and that's maybe more his sort of natural position rather than just being a right-back. But we finally have a settled back line, which is a massive contribution. And again, I mean, there's former Hearts players left, right and centre at Dens. Jack Hamilton had a terrific game uh, yeah. at the weekend <laughs> as well, and fair, it's yeah. one of several that he's he's found consistency. And okay, he did have you probably remember in the first half when he dropped the ball on I think it was Liam Fontaine's back, and that quite luckily uh, yeah. bounced back into his hand. That's but, the Jack Hamilton we knew. Yeah, um, but he, um, I mean, I think what's never been in doubt is even in his time at Hearts, I think his his reflexes are pretty good. I think it's more just general decision making. Uh, coming out for crosses, not being scared to come off his line, uh, and I think that's something that he's he's clearly worked on a little bit in in recent weeks and months. Again, I say that with all the fear of it coming crashing down around my ears again. But um, but no, it was there like was several... a, it, sorry, Gary, it was like a role reversal, wasn't it? From from the first game of the season where you had a lot of pace, uh, we had more pace than us. You played at that tempo that that we didn't have. Um, things didn't really change too much when Andy Irvin came on, but Andy Irvin should have started the game and should start every week. Osman So was the striker that we were trying to play to, but he played for the other team. That's the type of tactics at times we were playing against Dundee, where you've got someone like Osman So who could hold the ball up, but he was in the opposition. Craig Whiten was was what we had. Um, And looking at some of your other players, Mullen, good player, uh, was it Livy? Um, Again, just just movement. And, And 
I'm intrigued to get your thoughts from an opposition perspective. What is the biggest concern you would have for Hearts right now um, about from what you've seen from the first game of the season to that one? I'd say the biggest concern is, I know that he's now back, but losing the likes of Josh Janelli or Liam Boyce um, would be the biggest concerns I would have. I think there was there was a pretty big difference uh, in the second half, as you say, when Andy Irvin came on, and I think that, that maybe knitted things together a little bit better. But for me, the as you say, there was a role reversal, almost a, a tale of two games, where in the first game, you know, Kingsley was was bombing forward. There was uh, there was zip. Hearts were in our faces. Um, you know, just taking the ball quickly, crossing it. You know, left to right, right to left, um, and just really not giving us any time on the ball. And this time around, Hearts seemed tentative. It seemed a little bit route one. It just seemed very uninspired, and I wasn't sure what caused it. I was delighted. Don't get me wrong. Um, but there was there was a little bit of a it's not the most intellectual word to use, but just a, a collective brain fart on the part of Hearts, and it was quite puzzling to watch. But I think the at the same time, there is a, a kernel of hope in the, as I said at the outset, I watched Robbie Nielsen's Dundee United in the Championship last season, and there were specific times and specific games, usually against Alwa, bizarrely, when Dundee United just could not get it together. Um, and it was usually games where Paul McMullen was rested um, and United just looked uh, flabby, uninspired, dull, um, easily got at. And I saw a little bit of that from Hearts this week. Now, I don't think that's going to be the case every week, um, but I think it's just almost the par for the course with the Robbie Nielsen side. And it's probably you will both be much better versed than I am. I think it, it's just probably part of the, the sort of the Robbie Nielsen Hearts soap opera uh, that's going to continue where there may be some fans who, who take issue with it. But at the end of the day, if he's getting results, you're still five points ahead in the league with a game in hand. And I know there's maybe some Hearts fans out there who were hoping that Hearts would be unbeaten at this point, wrapping up the league by Valentine's Day and so on. But uh the championship is not that league. Um, it's it's a league that you've got to win just by grinding out results, you know, unattractive uh, wins every now and then, uh, the occasional dreary defeats, and you just get on with it. Oh, great. You, you're making 2021 just seem so much more appealing with every <laughs> passing minute. Um, on the second half, now, obviously, both of you rightly pinpointed um, the change, because although... Although it wasn't uh, the cliched game of two halves, Hearts were much better in the second half. Andy Irving came on and it did change the course of the game. And I thought Charlie Adam was starting to struggle earlier than we expected. I thought he'd maybe last till the last 20 minutes. I thought for most of the second half he started to struggle. And he seemed to get frustrated by the fact that suddenly Andy Irving was spraying passes around because he seemed to be intent on chasing Andy Irving down and putting a challenge in on him. But um, I don't think you will have seen a whole lot of Andy Irving, not recently anyway, because you know Hearts have been on um, been on the TV a couple of times, and you would have watched us with maybe the cup final and the games against your side. What did you think of him in that second half? Because I would say that was him on his normal kind of game. He can be a lot better than that. <laughs> Looking at that, would it surprise you as to why he wouldn't be one of the players who would start the game? 
yeah, I have no idea uh, what Hearts were playing at, really uh, not starting, because if you have a look at that, uh, at the starting midfield, I, I know that you've said that um, Peter Haring maybe currently at least isn't the player that he was before his injury, but you would still probably identify him as a starter. I've, I've never really been convinced by Ollie Lee um, either. Um, you know, I, I don't get why you would go with what to me looks like a, a fairly low energy um, starting 11 against Dundee side that obviously has been on form, but it still, you know, has a little bit of fragility there. So I was quite surprised by that. I mean, going back to Charlie Adam briefly, he has been carrying an injury for the last few weeks and basically playing through it, which is a little bit concerning. Um, and I think he might get rested this weekend, but you're right in that I think once he had somebody who wasn't just sitting off him and letting him pick his pass, uh, that that probably wore down the uh, the battery life a little bit quicker than otherwise would have been the case. Uh, and it's maybe something that Robbie Nielsen will look at in future weeks and think, well, you know, maybe that's uh, that's something that I have to change going forward. I think another big miss for you was Michael Smith. I was delighted he wasn't playing again. Um, and I know that Jamie Brand still had a, a pretty decent game, but as, a, as an opposition fan, I think that's a pretty big step down uh, is Michael Smith to anybody really at right back. But mm-hmm. um, I, I was quite happy to see that. The frustra- I guess one of the frustrations, Mark, is the fact I messaged you at halftime. I didn't see a way back. I thought I couldn't see how we would change the course of the game enough because we'd been so poor at halftime. It was 2-0 and it was certainly the right scoreline. I said it could have even been worse. Dundee had a couple of chances they missed. But we got the goal back quite early. It was 56 minutes, free kick on the right, um, Irving whips in. It's the, it's the perfect way to take a free kick in that angle. Curl it towards goal, get it on target. Lots of people go for it. If someone gets a touch, they can divert it in. If it goes on target, you're asking the keeper to make a save or it might go in. And obviously it was the, the latter in the end. Um, that's the kind of quality we were missing in the first half. Yeah, and... and... As Gary was saying, I, I don't understand why if if Andy Irving's fit, Andy Irving should should start. I, I don't know if he was if Robbie was asked that question specifically, if there was a reason for it, if he felt he needed a bit of a rest. I don't know. Um, but I mean, he for me is the player that Hart should build around because he's one of few that gives you legs and pace. Gary was talking about Ollie Lee. I'm not talking about the similarity of, of player styles, but I'm talking about similarity of. A lack of legs. Ollie Lee, Andy Halliday, Peter Haring in there. Um, we're not mobile enough. We need to be mobile. We can play with the tempo. You, you can have... They're not immobile, but you saw in the first game of the season, we were able to play with the tempo. Um, I mean, we had a couple of half chances, but it, you could tell from a fair way out that that wasn't going to be our day. Well, at, to, at be fair, to be fair, I mean, I would, I would slightly argue against saying we had a we had some good chances. I mean, Stephen Naismith got one and one, and and Hamilton did very well with that. Stephen Kingsley should Danny have scored. Mullen, Danny, yeah, but Danny Mullen was through one and one. This is what I'm going back to a week or two ago when I'm talking about being selective when when people make uh, comments. Um, oh, we had all those chances in the cup final. Yeah, but Celtic, Edward, Dundee, Danny Mullen. We have to be able to to look at both sides of the story here. And look, it, it, it's it's Hearts against Dundee here. Hearts are top of the table. Hearts have got a budget that's huge compared to the other teams in in the division. Um, and and we should be creating more chances than that. But we weren't. We created one or two. Naismith had a chance. And, yeah, Kingsley had a chance as well. 
but that was nowhere near good enough. Oh, no, I'll I'm, I'm not saying I'll, I'll, I'll be intrigued to see what Robbie Nielsen does in the January transfer window in the areas that he's identified, because two of his signings from pre-season were on the bench at Dundee, could have perhaps provided the pace and the width, but both were unused, and that's the two wingers. So, I mean, we, we've already discussed um, Elliot Freer um, and the other guy, but other I don't guy. know if they Well, I mean, it's getting to that stage. If they're... If they can be trusted, why weren't they playing? Here's one again. I'm in, I'm, I'm interested because to, to hear what Gary's opinion is from. But sometimes you can you can see more than what we can when we we watch players uh, week in week out. One of the things that was surprised I was surprised at, not because he'd done an awful lot. I mean, he hadn't had a chance to do much. That we took Craig White off, who was our only recognised striker. I know you say he's not really a number nine, but he was the closest thing to a striker that we had, if you take the fact that Naismith was always going to be deeper than him. But Jamie Walker stayed on. Um, how, what, what do you think of Jamie Walker from a, an outside perspective? He strikes me as a bit of a... I'm not sure if the signing was made out of his past rather than his future, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. If it's the sort of signing that is made because it's somebody who had a particularly stellar spell at at Hearts before and the idea that you can sort of recreate the magic. Um, I I don't think he's a bad player. I think that, um, I mean, obviously, I'm not totally in tune with Hearts fans' opinions of your your options out wide. I think that Elliot Freer is uh, not a good option. Um, I'm guessing I don't want to open up that... uh, (laughs) that chest too much um so given that hearts are in the scottish championship i think that jamie walker is a a fine player to have around but no more than that it's not a name that when i look at the team sheet i i panic about no opposition fan i think but i think that's one of the big frustrations with jamie walker is that you know that technically he's very good he's technically got ability um we've seen him doing the Premiership. He scored a fair few goals for Hearts in the top flight, and when he was on his game, you know he could glide past opposition players. He could crack them in from 25 yards. I think that makes it more frustrating than than the likes of a Craig Whiten, where you get this feeling he's got limitations, but you feel like he's going to go out there and he's going to put in a shift and he's going to try his best. And it, for a lot of the time with Hearts, it hasn't been good enough. But I guess there's a less frustration, would you think, Mark, than with Jamie Walker, who we've spoken about this recently. He just it's just this air of kind of slouched shoulders and not really putting a shift on. And you and and then you can see someone and Jamie Walker's never been someone who's been blessed with a, 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 an amazing engine or a lot of pace. But then you see Charlie Adam, who's years ahead of him, and and Charlie Adam, something like the second half at times, you know, it's like that ex-footballer who's now in his 40s who turns up to a game of fives and you can see he's better than everyone else but he's just knackered now you stop and have a fag halfway through or something but you can still see that quality but Jamie Walker doesn't even seem to show that quality does he He doesn't show anything on the ball he just goes through games anonymously at the moment what's changed in the last few weeks because prior to Christmas prior to the cup final we've had conversations saying the way he's playing right now Jamie Walker's the first name on the team sheet now, whether it was Stephen Naismith not being involved and Jamie playing the number 10 role centrally. I mean, when he came on in the game against our growth, he played a lovely through ball. Uh, mm-hmm. No, I think he put the, cro- he put the cross in. He, he cut it back. Um, for, yeah. He, yeah, and there was a lovely through ball to him. And it was a, it was a really nice goal. 
But we shouldn't have a player that sometimes he's on his day and others he's, he's not. You can't pick and choose. He is, he can be held culpable due to his own standards that he has set this season. Now, I expect him consistency from a winger, but this is a level that Jamie Walker should be grabbing by the scruff of the neck and dominating most weeks because he has that ability. I don't know if there's issues off the pitch or, or what there is. Something doesn't seem to be right because we know what Jamie Walker is capable of because he's shown us this season. I'm not having it that six weeks on from saying he's one of the first names on the team sheet. Now you're thinking, well, is it going to be like the Arbroath game where we'll have to bring him on if he's going to play? Because in the cup final, he was anonymous. My post-cup final podcast um, chat of, of him and Robbie or what I would do if I was Robbie and bring him in and, and try and get his confidence back up. He just seems like a very fragile player right now. Um, and there's two ways that you can deal with, with players. Some need a kick up the arse. Others need an arm around the shoulder. I don't know if he's had that, um, as he reacted to that. But something's missing right now. And if we can get that back from Jamie, I'm not one to... to if someone's going through a bad spell, I'm not the type of person that will just right, move on. I want, I want to try and find a way, whether it's in football, whether it's in life or or whatever, whether it's family, you try and help someone. And you know what he's capable of, and he hasn't shown that. So we just need to find out why, and we need to try and get him back. There's no such thing as a lost cause with anybody, and Jamie's far from a lost cause. But he's going to have to start showing something, or he's going to be back on the bench. One final incident to touch on in the game itself. Uh, seven minutes ago, the incident that, I guess, put the game to bed. Uh, Dundee free kick, uh, Seven minutes to go, as mentioned. Floated into the box. I have to say, I still find it hard to tell. Um, and I've watched the replay of it. I, you can see Christoph Berra pulls, I think, Cami Kerr's shirt. And then it's Ashcroft who goes down just ahead of him. You can see why the referee has maybe made a decision when you see the ball come in and Berra's running behind someone. I'm not sure if the referee has seen any contact. Uh, maybe it's my maroon-tinted spectacles, Gary. Having seen a couple yes, of is. shots, you still I just couldn't see a clear foul on Ashcroft by him. I can see him pulling Kamikar's shirt, but I feel it's Ashcroft hitting the ground, which is the penalty. Yes, but I think that's probably caused by Berra pulling the shirt and then just causing a domino effect. I, I think it, it's something that, as a defender, you should not be pulling your opposition player's shirts in the box. It's, well, exactly don't get me wrong. I, I do feel it's clumsy by him in there. I, I was just trying to, to isolate the foul, because I know Robbie obviously wasn't happy with the refereeing performance, and you want to kind of look if there was any justification. I think the red card, I, I struggled to see that as a a terrible call, I think, when you see it, but the penalty, I don't know if it was on instinct. I just struggled to see a clear foul, but again, maybe I'm being biased. I thought it was a penalty, Laurie. Um, I'm just concerned at how Don Robertson looks so like Matthew McFadgen, um, and <laughs> the character Tom from Succession. I just can't get that. It, I think it's a character from Succession that's refereeing him. I was looking back at my notes when we played Dunfermline because I, I, I kind of thought, was there anything in that game? And Because the, Robbie mentioned Your that notes. we've had him. 
okay, my, my WhatsApp notes. Silly. Um, and I'd, I'd said to my pals, this is a shite referee because of the way he started against Dunfermline. I can't remember what he'd done, if he was just blowing his whistle or just silly things. I just don't think he's very good. But the problem you've got here, if you're a referee, right, when that ball is, is delivered in, you've got to look somewhere. And if you just so happen to look at something and you see that, you can't give anything else. It's soft. I, I get that. But if it's at the other end, I'm screaming for a penalty. We're going back to our selective, oh, well, that should be, but that should... No, no, no. I've, it, the two incidents, if we take them both together and we take them isolated, I wasn't screaming at the telly going, I can't believe you've not sent him off for that or I can't believe you've given a penalty for that. I go with my first instinct. And most people's first instincts are usually pretty good. I thought as a... I saw it as, I was like, what's this for? No one can see it with the, the kind of naked eye. But the minute the replay comes in, I'm like, I can't argue um, for, the, for the penalty. And it's soft, but if it's at the other end, we want it as well. And it, it's clumsy. It's, it's clumsy. It's definitely so I, clumsy. I, I, thought, yeah, I, thought, I, can... I thought it was. Okay. Well, that was game over with Afolabi dispatching the penalty very well, in fact, into the top corner. Ewan Henderson. a cloney. Yes, well, we'll get onto why, that. Why is, he not, why is he not playing more, Gary? I think it's purely uh, a symptom of the fact that Osman So hit form first. There was a period of time when Afo Abbey, I think he was self-isolating at one point. Right. He's had a couple of uh, spells of international duty with Ireland as well, so he's not been available for every game that we've played. Um, it is a little bit of a chance for him, because I think that spot that isn't so up top, basically... Uh, is open, so we've we've used Mullen there against Hearts, we had McDade there the week before, although he was a little bit wider than uh, Mullen was, which probably made it more of a 4-3-3. Three, three. So I think that spot is probably up for grabs between Mullen, McDade and Afalabi. Uh, Alex Jakubiak, who looked great for us in the two games he was fit, is unfortunately out for several months. Um, so he does have a chance to uh, put something together. I mean, you've you will have seen him, I can't remember, I don't think he scored in the first game of the season, um, but he was part of that front two with Mullen that looked significantly better in the second half, but you could have probably put me and James McPake up top in the he was involved in the. He was involved in the Mullen goal, I think his shot was yeah. blocked and it fell to Mullen who then dinked it over Gordon. Yeah, so he's, he's a handy Afalabi option. came on at half time in the, in the first game of the season, is that the one you're talking about, the 6-2? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Afalabi came on at halftime for uh, Forster. It yeah. was. I, ju- I just think it's. I think it's 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 admirable that at least one Celtic player is doing the right thing and doing what they should and staying in Scotland right now. <laughs> Indeed. So obviously that tightened things up a little bit more at the top. Uh, Dunfermline weren't in action after their game was called off so Hearts and Dunfermline both on 10 games played Hearts 5 points ahead uh, of Dunfermline and now Dundee level with Dunfermline so also 5 points behind but on um, one game more played where does this leave the league really for you Mark? There's obviously a long way to go we're we're only 10 games played we're going to try and play 27 who knows if we get that Um <laughs> I still am not concerned about Hearts not winning the league. However, for large parts of last season, I was not concerned about Hearts going down. Is is we we, we talked about Dunfermline being a bit of maybe a wake up call? Is this another wake up call? Because I know we're not the ones who will control the complacency, but in my head, I, I still have no worries about us 
not of, of us finishing anything below first. No, we shouldn't. But we know that our average is good enough to beat a lot of teams in, in that league. Um, but my concern would be the second half against our broth and the 90 minutes against Dundee. That's, that's a concern. Our away form um, hasn't been great when we go on our travels. The Arbroath game, I don't have a problem with that because that was a just get out of there with three points. Um, then I know we, well, we were poor at Dunfermline, better at Morton, but we've got we've, we've got another couple of away games, well, three away games coming up over the next month. Mm-hmm. Aloha, where we struggled in the, the League Cup, but that's another team that, again, our average should be good enough at home, but away from home, what is the problem? At Wraith, they're a, they're a nightmare to predict because they lost at home at Queen of the South, but they've had, they had a good win over Dunfermline. And they're United. So, as, as Gary was saying earlier about this league, this isn't Hibs and Rangers where it was easy to get up for games. This isn't the championship last time around in 2014-2015. This is a scrappy league. It's, it's like the English Championship. It's not all the time about being at your best. It's about making sure you fight and battle, and that'll take care of itself. Your ability should shine through. If a team beats us because they deserve to beat us and they've played better than us, fine. But I hate it when teams outfight us. and are, They shouldn't be better than us. So we, we're in a dogfight. And as long as we know that and we play to our capabilities, we'll be fine. But you're talking about still being pretty confident. Yeah, I'm, I'm confident we'll finish first, but not if we play the way we play. We'll get dragged into a, a title race if we play like we played for the last three halves of football because they haven't been good enough. A reaction is required, and hopefully we'll get that over the next few games. Gary, from a, an outside perspective, you've mentioned the similarities between Hearts and Robbie Nielsen this season and Dundee United and Robbie Nielsen last season. You've obviously grown very familiar um, with the championship, being a Dundee fan, and uh, we'll get some kind of digs in after losing that game. How, how do you see this season panning out? Are you, is it a case of you want to try and just stay in the mix for um, playoff places? you feel that Hearts will be up there? Or do you think there's a, 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 a genuine potential that, you know, likes of yourselves or Dunfermline could claw Hearts into a title race? At the start of the season, I said that what I wanted Dundee to do was keep Hearts honest, by which I meant I wasn't expecting us to win the league, but I was expecting us to you know, to keep it to a, a, a decent margin, a margin that we could look at and go, well, you know, we did our best and let's concentrate on the playoffs. And I would still say that's probably my aim at the moment. And that might not be the most uh, ambitious target that anyone's ever set for a football club. But I think just looking at Hearts, resources the squad that they have uh it's, it's probably the most realistic one i think what doesn't work in hearts favor that did work in dundee united's favor is dundee united's had a legitimate bona fide scottish international player in lawrence shankland who was able to slice through championship defenses like buster the rest of their team wasn't up to much genuinely uh callum butcher was obviously a uh a very important figure for them in the middle of the park, but it was all about Lawrence Shankland. Mm-hmm. Hearts don't really have that player, or at least not one that I've seen. Um, you could maybe argue that about Liam Boyce, maybe, but he's not shown it enough yet, not in the way that Lawrence Shankland did, where he could win games for United, even when they looked really mediocre. 
Um, so the way I see it playing out is probably quite similar, but not to the same extent as last season. So I would still be very surprised if Hearts didn't win the league. That's but, what we want to hear. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and I'm happy for you all to switch off and think, well, that's fine. Uh, that'll be us then. Um, but complacency is a killer in the championship. And it's, I mean, it's. I hate all the cliches about, you know, no easy place to go. It's a, you know, it's a tough away day, et cetera, et cetera. But it really is true in the championship. Anyone can take points off anybody. Uh, Mark, you mentioned Wraith Rovers losing to Queen of the South. Queen of the South is a 16-year-old goalie. Uh, in yeah. between six that game who hadn't played a single minute of football beforehand I think who had to go in at the warm up and they still won and it's those sort of games that you have to have the correct mentality to know how to then get yourself up for it so it's about balancing sort of a a deserved arrogance about the the qualities that your squad has against you know treating the other uh, opponents with respect and not thinking I'm going to rest this player because you know I can I can rotate my squad I can do this I can do that so um I would say Hearts fans can still probably look forward with confidence but the next couple of weeks will be telling um I think as much as anything else the fact that at some point Dundee and Dunfermline and even the likes of Inverness Callie and Rovers will all play each other and all slit each other's throats and that's probably the biggest help to uh, heart of Midlothian at the moment with a five point gap you're relying on one other team to break out from the pack and whereas at the moment I think there's probably three or four teams that will that are about at the same level and will therefore take points off each other maybe not get the full complement of points they will and that will keep hearts head above water Okay moving on Mark's favourite line I'm going to take you back to April. We didn't really want to dig this up again, especially since the new year, but we have a Dundee representative on. A fan. You know, not representing the, the club yeah, let's, in let's an official clear, I'm sense. I'm not a representative of Dundee Football Club. It's all <laughs> record now. You can continue. Fine. Um, so this kind of originates from the fact that I had some interaction with, with some Dundee fans after the first game at Tyne Castle. And a lot of us were maybe... Um, Digging in, uh, putting a few digs out there, like we should we should say about the certain vote that happened. So the resolution to end the season back in April, um, which would have confirmed promotion and relegation on a points per game basis, promote Dundee United, effectively end Dundee's promotion hopes as well. They were third at the time. Uh, I don't know what your feelings were around this time, Gary. So when all this came out at the initially when it first came out so when we found out it all hinged on Dundee what were your thoughts at that point when basically we knew this was down to Dundee they had the chance to put this vote through or not my initial thought was that the league has utterly wrecked this vote um I think that announcing the votes in that way put a lot more of a spotlight on Dundee's vote than should have been the case because let's not forget that it wasn't just Dundee uh, that voted the way that they did. There were plenty of other clubs that did too, but mm. leaving it in such a way that it seemed as if Dundee had the swing vote, which you could argue they did, but really they didn't because they voted at the same time as everyone else. I know that there's a lot of controversy <laughs> over uh, emails, but I think that ultimately, if I was making a pitch to Hearts fans as I'm tied to the stake as to why they should untie me and not light, the, uh, not light all of the sawdust underneath me, what I would say is that when... Dundee did that. Dundee were then pushing for reconstruction, which would have saved 
hearts from relegation. But I think the bigger point here is that I think the biggest damage that has been done by this vote, other than to perhaps intra-club uh, relations between Dundee and Hearts, is that it hasn't allowed Hearts fans to have the grieving process that they actually needed to have. And it might sound like I'm taking the mickey here, that I'm trolling, but I'm genuinely not. Whenever Dundee have gone down, what has been cathartic about it is having that finality, knowing that it's happened because we've been the poorest team in the league, and then therefore you can have the proper clear out that you need. You can just release all of the toxins out of your system. Hearts have never had that. And Hearts fans have put everything into this vote. And I think because of that, certainly a lot of Hearts fans I know have maybe not recognised that, OK, you were still in a, a fairly competitive relegation battle with St Mirren and Hamilton. Hamilton, who, by the way, I don't think will ever go down at any point. <laughs> but um, it's it's just literally impossible to relegate that team, it seems. Um, but I think that Hearts fans have maybe focused too much on the email saga, vote gate, whatever you want to call it, and not enough on the fact that Hearts had the, what would you say, third, fourth biggest budget in the league last season? Fourth, yeah. Fourth biggest budget in the league last season. And look where you were when the league was, was called to a halt. And have that many players been moved on? Has that much changed from an outside perspective? I'm not sure if it has. And it looks as if it's going to work out for you in terms of going back up again uh, at the first time of asking. But it's that bloodletting, if you will, is such an important part of what clubs have to go through when they go down to to sort of really recover from it and to, to face up to shortcomings. That's a fair point. To a, to a degree, one of the things that I found interesting, because I was... I was um, sticking the knife in a little bit to Dundee was some fans were mentioning, I don't know why you're sticking the knife in and directing it at all of us because we were as pissed off about a lot of that debacle as you were. And I'm paraphrasing. And basically the suggestion that the way the whole thing was handled by Dundee was not very popular with a lot of Dundee fans as well because ultimately all it did was promote your rivals and there there wasn't a resolution at the end of it that gave any advantage to Dundee really because you were third in the league and playing out the season would not have would have obviously given you a chance to go up um was there a general feeling about that because I have to say lost in everything that happened it was very hard to sit I guess to sit and focus on well, how did that make them feel? <laughs> because it was very much about us and we were we felt wronged and I think we had a good reason to feel wronged. I think a lot of people will agree with that outside of Hearts. But was there an, an element of that, whether it was from you or just Dundee fans in general? Uh, yeah, I think it's never nice when the spotlight's on your club <laughs> for, for reasons out with your own control. And as you say, it's that sort of lumping in of, you know, everybody that is a Dundee fan must therefore agree with what the club's done. I think that the the reason that some fans would, in the eyes of perhaps Hearts fans, defend the club is that I think a lot of Dundee fans would look on it as more cock-up than conspiracy. And that's often the case in, in every walk of life anyway. But I think that had, I mean, you know, Hearts fans can go away and uh, and see that the, uh, the gentleman from the club who submitted the vote, I think, has had IT issues in other walks of life as well. So it's... I, I don't think, on, um, and man. once you Come Google it, you'll understand, you'll understand what I mean. Um, but I don't think, I think what 
embarrass Dundee fans, if that's the right word to use, is that it was then very easy for it to be made to look as if we were holding out for some sort of special deal, whether that's a, a 15-team top tier, which just so happens to include uh, the, the three teams. Um, there was that ridiculous story about glamour friendlies. Um, my understanding of that is that, um, and I'd love to hear your take on this, that the suggestion was that uh, there should be friendlies arranged with Celtic, not for Dundee, but for Hearts, um, Thistle and Stranraer, um, which is obviously a no-go for many reasons. Um, <laughs> but no, I, th- I think what it was was that through a bit of an IT glitch, Dundee ended up holding what looked like all the cards, but it's that classic joke of the cards that they were holding were, you know, uh, you know, the four of clubs, the seven of diamonds, uh, a card from Happy Families, um, and an Uno card. It There was nothing that Dundee could do once the spotlight was on them that would end well forever. <laughs> well, could have stuck I mean, to their, there's, there's stuck to their guns. Could have... Um, <laughs> They, they could have done that, but in some ways I don't blame John Nelms for thinking this is an opportunity, but I think that perhaps, certainly with hindsight, and you could argue at the time, you could look at it and think, just stick with what you've done, because at least that way there is an inherent logic, which is just, this is the vote that we submitted, not knowing what everybody, how everybody else voted, and we should honour that vote. And I think that Dundee fans would have probably preferred that. There is a small minority of Dundee fans as well, of course, who objected to the vote on the basis of, you know, oh, it means that we've awarded United the league. United were winning the league. Anyway, it was only a matter of time. And I think that you've got to go on the basis of, you know, your your sort of principles on it. And I think that voting in a particular way just to, to do over your rivals rather than actually thinking about the long-term health of the league and with other relations with other clubs would have been daft. But... No, I think that if, say if I had my time again, it's not as if I was a decision maker, but if I was in the hot seat and I got that call saying, your vote's not there, we don't know where it's gone, I would have just stuck with, with what was put in initially. I don't, I, 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 I'm probably guessing that there was not any um, any conspiracy at Dundee's end. I, I would be, <clears throat> I would not be surprised in the slightest if it was no IT glitch at the other end. However, and the 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 email was simply cast aside. Um, but obviously, that fantastic in-depth investigation carried out by whoever the SPFL employed to do it um, completely exonerated that as a potential um, as a potential scenario. I mean, as as someone who has friends who have had cause to email SPFL email addresses with attachments in the past, I know that it's. <laughs> things have been quarantined in a way that they shouldn't have been but i think that uh you know that's maybe the the minutiae of it rather than the the sort of the basic principle of should you stick with the vote that you submit in the first place and the answer to that is in my view just on principle yes um and it's one of those things where i think in a lot of um sort of crisis management scenarios um for want of a better phrase there have been times where when you actually look at each micro decision that's taken, you can sort of see why it was taken, but it adds up to a massive uh, clusterfuck, <laughs> for lack of a better word. <laughs> and I think that's what happened here, is that a lot of not wise decisions were taken, and when you add them all up, it, it amounts to, you know, the 
the whole is greater than the sum of its parts in terms of bad decisions that were taken one by one. Um, just I'm still waiting on the other four Celtic loanees as well. I don't know what's <laughs> taking their time. <laughs> it was a total mess. Um, and without wanting to, to kind of go over old ground here, one of the biggest gripes now looking back is the failure of other clubs to decide this is an opportunity for us to make a change. Now, I know with the Sky TV deal that they require, unless Celtic or Rangers finish in separate parts of the, the league and there is no fourth uh, old firm game of the season, which is unlikely, um, the, the, the contract stipulates that there should be four games. That's why they, they're not interested in Scottish football without Celtic and Rangers games. I think that's pretty fair. And if, if they were, it would be for a minuscule fee. Scottish football missed an opportunity to, to change. Um, I would love a 16-team top league. You could still have your four old firm games because you could play each other twice and then you could have a top six and then you could have your two old firm games extra on top of that. But you look at Hearts and you look at Dunfermline if, and Dundee and Wraith. If you're trying to tell me there's much of a difference between Dundee and Ross County or Dunfermline um, and Hamilton, there's, there's not. And it, it's just... It, it can be all right if the top six split and the bottom six split and you get a little bit of drama. We've seen that. But I just wonder, and I had this thought over the weekend, I was commentating on Rangers Celtic for ESPN over here, and I don't have any skin in this game. I've got no issue with, with, with Rangers winning that because ultimately I think what might happen is that Peter Lowell, um, him of the Dundee vote uh, a few months ago, <laughs> allegedly, Peter Lowell's not going to stay around. Neil Lennon's not going to stay around um, if they don't win their 10 in a row. That's their holy grail, right? He'll, he'll go somewhere else. And with that goes the departure of, of that specific influential person in Scottish football. Now, we, we are still hamstrung by this 11-1 um, issue with regards to, to, to change. But I just wonder if Rangers winning the league this year could be the start of ultimate change in Scottish football because the dominance and the power that what seems that Peter Lowell and Celtic have right now, and as I've said before, I don't blame them for that. They have worked their way up to this with Rangers making a right arse of it. It's not there's no skullduggery here or anything regards to that with with when it comes to Celtic's power. They they they've played a, an absolute blinder over this. But once Lowell's gone, and there's change at Celtic, and there's a new influencer at the top of Scottish football. Would there be more of an appetite for change? Because right now, 12-team top flight, not interested in it. Whether Hearts are in the championship or whatever. I wouldn't want to change just because of Hearts. We deserve our punishment um, because we were shite last season. Ultimately, as I said before, we, it, it was, we were harshly treated, but we can't complain that when everything was ripped up and that was it, we were bottom of the table because we were not good enough. But if you're telling me that these teams right now in the top half of the championship are miles behind the likes of Motherwell, St. Johnston, Kilmarnock, Ross County and Hamilton not having it. 16-team league would work, it would keep Sky happy, and it would give us a freshness that our game north of the border needs desperately. The one other thing we need is Neil Doncaster to foxtrot Oscar and go elsewhere to give us all a chance. I, I like the 12-team setup. I really do. And I'm saying that as someone who's seen this team out with it um, plenty of times. In, in recent years, I think that 
you know, you mentioned obviously Dundee, you're very kind to do so, Dundee, Dunfermline, Wraith, etc. But then it's a case of what's beneath that. And it's a case of when it comes to promotion and relegation, if if you have a 16-team league, the problem is that then I'm not convinced that you would necessarily get quality coming up and that the teams that are going down would necessarily help the tiers below that. And I think the other thing is that with a 12-team league, if you go into the, the Premiership at the moment, every team in that Premiership this season has got something to play for at the moment. Now, half of them are shitting themselves, they're going to get relegated, which maybe isn't great for them, but at least it's entertaining for us. Um, and I don't know, I, I remain to be convinced on the merits of a 16-team league and I recognise that there's uh, there'll be reasons that broadcasters and others come up with um, both for and against it. But for me, just from a purely footballing perspective, I mean, it would be nice, I suppose, to to only play certain teams uh, twice a year, three times tops. Um, you know, I could do with not having to go back to New Douglas Park again anytime soon. But it's I don't necessarily think it's broke the way that I, th I think there was a point in the summer where all of a sudden there seemed to be a case being made for reconstruction, which hadn't been made with any great urgency before. And I know that my team was part of that, um, and you know, perhaps with it, it, its own reasons. But over the last couple of seasons, we've seen um, you know, Dundee, Hearts, Dundee United go down um, at, at points which was unexpected. Obviously, we've seen Hibs go down as well, um, slightly unexpectedly. Hey. Um, yeah, I, I thought I'd play to the crowd for a little bit at least um <laughs> so i think there are definitely things that we would miss if we lost the 12 team league i think it would be much less likely would that, dundee um, ever get back in the top flight of, of course we we uh, i think along with hearts actually we have <laughs> one of the uh, the most yo-yo um spells I, I can't remember how many times it is that hearts have been relegated in the last 30 years but i think they're they're further up the table than you would think um yeah but well, Dundee are at the top of that table so i can make that joke um, only twice but... in the th only twice in 30 years if you go back <laughs> a little bit before that then you you start to get the late 70s early 80s where there's a few more <laughs> but that's before i was born so i don't count anything um before the 25th of may 1986 so thankfully i missed um a horrendous game at dens park but no i i mean i would uh i would say this given that i'm on a hearts podcast at the moment but i think that one of the the losses for me is, I mean, I generally, you know, I, I don't like 41 teams in Scotland. I like one team in Scotland and the other 41 I have varying shades of uh, distrust or dislike for. Um, but uh, I think one of the, the saddest parts of this for me is that I've I've always enjoyed games against Hearts. I've always enjoyed uh, going to Tyne Castle. And I think that depending on when it is, obviously, um, you know, not just... Uh, professional sports reasons but perhaps uh, public health reasons it might be a while before we get to see Dundee play at Tyne Castle um, but I, I would hate to think that it would uh, it would cause bad blood uh, between the two sets of fans because Tyne Castle is a great stadium to go to I enjoy going to it um, I don't know how you feel about uh, going to Dens but I think it's a great stadium as well albeit a wee bit shabby um, at times and yeah I think that's probably the the biggest loss for me out of it is that Hearts fans, I think, will maybe have uh, not the same view they had of Dundee as they did before. Um, and I would just issue a plea to remember that we're uh, all of us fans have different views of what went on in the summer, uh, and that you'll always uh, you'll always find a nice pair waiting for you at Dens. 
Well, I'm, I'm sure we'll we'll find a way to to drag ourselves back there at, at some point when we are able. And I think the prospect of football at any ground is one that um, is very appealing to football fans. We we're, we're running out of time, but um, I mentioned this weekend, Mark. We do not know who Hart and Midlothian are playing. Uh, we might know by the time people are listening to this. By the time of recording on Tuesday evening, we do not. Now, Hearts might play Brora Rangers at the weekend. Who's the other team they might play, Mark? What's their name? I would say Camelon, but I've heard it as Camelon as well. This has been driving me mad. This has been driving me mad because I've heard, I've heard people say Camelon, but I wasn't sure if it was a, the, the twang, the accent. So I put it out there and I, I, I tagged the... Camlin Camlin Jr.'s account and all I've now found is in fact there are more ways to say it than I actually <laughs> thought so the, I think there's Camlin, Camlin, Kemlin and then there's a debate over whether, or over whether you actually enunciate other areas of it the E and then the ON instead of an N so apparently there's at least three legitimate ways you can say this team's name which is why I'm now kind of leaning towards Barora beating them even though it's a uh, about 600 extra miles of travel to go there and back we don't know who Hearts will play in the Scottish Cup second round Dundee will host Bonnie Rig Rose and hopefully they'll get pumped by them um, <laughs> hopefully one team from this neck of the woods can, can do the business at Dens Park interesting next game in the league for Hearts at home to Dunfermline which is next Tuesday so that will take place before we record the next show That that that's a big one Mark um, Dunfermline yeah. One win in six in all competitions. Even found themselves 3-0 down to Dundee, although unlike Hearts, they managed to get something out of the game. Um, but we've won eight out of eight at home in all competitions this campaign. So that would be a big game to get us, I suppose, um, back on course. Yeah, they're the one team that when the fixtures came out, we knew we were getting two at home against Dundee, two at home against Inverness, um, Cali Thistle. Um, but we were facing two trips to, to East End Park. It was a chance to put it right. I mean, it's, it seems it seems as though it's just around the corner, but it's still a long way off. It's, it's a week away. Yeah, time to put down a marker. I mean, whoever we play, there's a good chance that could be our next game, Laurie, because I was reading the Camelon Brora game um, might be moved to Dunny Pace, and even then yeah. that pitch is, is, is frozen and that might not go ahead there. So there's a decent chance that game could be played this weekend. Yeah. Um, if at all, um, over the next week or so, because it's not like I mean I believe you're having a bit of a cold snap right now. There's no undersoil heatings at any uh, undersoil heating at any of these places. Will it get to the stage whereby they because it's behind closed doors? I think you could easily move it to like could you move it to the Orium um, or somewhere like that so that the game does go ahead. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if Dunfermline was our next game because I'm not overly confident that Camelin against Broader no. will take place. Um, either Wednesday, which is tomorrow, or uh, or the next few days. It just seems like a bit of a mess. Ah, it's just another reminder that we need to get out of this situation and stop having to play in the Scottish Cup second round. But anyway, um, Dundee are playing Wraith next Tuesday. Uh, fancy yourselves to keep up your current unbeaten run or even add to the wins? It was Wraith Rovers that ended our 23-game unbeaten run um, the, the last time we were in administration. Um, another reason for Dundee and 
Hearts fans to be pals. Uh, we know administration quite well. Um, so I'm, I'm always a little bit reticent about trips to Sarts Park. However, uh, that is where I saw Dundee lift the championship. So maybe that's a, a good wee omen for us. But um, no, it's uh, interestingly the, the team or the other support that I always find it quite strange to see how much anger they have towards Dundee is Wraith Rovers fans. Um, quite a lot of them really, really, really dislike us. And quite a lot of them seem to have Dundee United as their second team, so maybe that explains why. But no, um, I'm always a wee bit nervous about games against Rovers because they, they do seem to up their game to play against us, and who can blame them? Well, that's a good time to, to finish up. Everyone hates Dundee. I think we can all <laughs> we can all get behind that. No um, one likes us. We don't care. <laughs> Tell us about it. We know what that feels like after the last eight or nine months. We appreciate you coming on though, Gary. It's been good to get a, a different perspective on things. And many people will disagree with lots of things you said, um, but it's certainly on the actual match and the analysing of performance-wise. I think it's good and it is interesting to hear um, some thoughts on, on certain parts of the Hearts team and, and what we can expect for the season, especially with it being Robbie Nielsen Mark II. Um, obviously, we hope you have a shite season, but... But other than that, hopefully we will see you again at some point. And maybe after the Tynecastle game, we can get you back on and, and hopefully we can gloat this time. Yeah, You'll hopefully get what you were looking for this time around. I know. That was always the plan, wasn't it, Mark? <laughs> it backfired horribly. I want Dundee back up and Hearts back up. I don't mind a wee trip to Dens. I just get get rid of Hamilton. Get rid of <laughs> get Ross County. And Dundee, bring them back. Bring Dunfermline back. Let's have a 16-team league. Come on, let's do it. Well, well, we never know. If it if it gets down to a vote and um, Dundee have the decider, maybe we'll see another push for that to happen again in a few months. Hopefully, we can see out this season on the park, though. Fingers crossed. And we'll be back next week to talk about at least one Hearts game, we think. Maybe two. You never know. 